Welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. Today, we're walking through another one of the ancestors of Jesus, Esther, and what does it look like for God to be faithful in the middle of our brokenness? Things are sticking with us. Well, have you ever watched your life spin out of control and wondered where God was in your story? I certainly have. Those days where you whisper, are you even there? Are you really real? The times when it feels like there's just too much silence and too much space and you wonder if God exists and if he does, if he cares at all. We come to this really interesting book in the Bible, a book that is shrouded in mystery because the names that we have are written in Hebrew and what we typically know people by in human history is not Hebrew. And so we're not 100% sure where this book falls in the kings of Persia. It is also a book that's shrouded in debate because it's one of two books of the 66 of the Bible that don't mention the name of God or even reference God. We've come to the book of Esther. Esther, who is caught up in a life that she didn't choose and asked to shoulder a task that she didn't want. Esther, a woman used by God to save an entire nation because silence is an absence and a lack of recognition doesn't delete his hand. While the name of God may not be spoken in the book of Esther, he is in every fiber of Esther's story and he is in every fiber of yours. Esther grows up in this really kind of um, odd time in Jewish history, a time that is full of pain. She grows up in the Babylonian captivity, where not only has Babylon come and they've conquered the Jews and they've taken over Jerusalem, they've taken people away into exile, but now another country has conquered Babylon, the nation of Persia. Now, many of the Jews have actually returned to Jerusalem, but there are some who have stayed in exile, and Esther is one of those. Now, historians believe that um, King Ahasuerus, as we know him in the book of Esther and this Hebrew naming of this king, is Xerxes I, as we would know him by his Greek name. And this is a Bible story that is so lovely and rosy from far away. We see a hero that is put in place long before the need arises, who embraces boldness and saves her people from certain destruction. And it is that. But it's also a story that's ripe with tragedy and sin and brokenness. A queen who is abandoned because of the pride and impulsiveness of her, of her husband. A young girl plucked from her home and her culture and the only family that she had left, paraded before a man who basically uses and discards her. 
an entire people group almost obliterated because of the ego and rage of one man. It's a tragic story, perhaps one that would not have needed to be written had wisdom and integrity won the day. But life only moves in one direction. We don't have moments like the family man or it's a wonderful life, but not it's a wonderful movie where we get to see what would have happened if and be given the option to choose the other path. Life only moves in one direction. And so this story, as much as we would love to look back on it with hindsight and say, what if it only moves in one direction? And this is a story full of tragedy and brokenness and God's faithfulness in spite of it. Let's pray. So God, we thank you once again for this moment in your word and in human history where you show us that you are able to do incredible things in the midst of incredible tragedy. You were able to redeem this story that was one of destruction of your people because you kept your promises, because you gave courage to this woman to stand up for truth and justice, to stand in integrity. And so this morning, God, I just pray that as we look at your word, as we dive into this story, one that is full of so much brokenness, that God, we would find you in the middle of our brokenness, that we would find your hope, that we would find your sovereignty, and we would find your faithfulness in the brokenness of our story too. In your precious name, would you go forth and speak, Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth. We want to hear your words. Would you allow that which is just birthed in me just to float away? We don't need to hear more of me. We need to hear more of you. Amen. Well, let me summarize the events of this book um, just so we can go through it a bit quicker because there's a lot to unpack. So King Ahasuerus is the ruler of Persia and he holds this week-long celebration in the third year of his reign. And on the last day of that celebration, he commands his wife, Queen Vashti, to come and show off her beauty to all of those who have gathered. Now, there is some debate as to what come show off your beauty actually meant, um, but regardless of what that entailed, she refuses to do so. His wounded pride, his poor counselors, and his impulsiveness lead this king to depose and banish his wife, Vashti. And sometime later, a search is now on for a new queen. And the most beautiful girls from the entire kingdom are brought to the palace, in essence given makeovers, and paraded before the king one night apiece. And Esther is chosen as the new queen. And we find that in Esther chapter 2, verse 17. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women. And she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. But there's a secondary story kind of being told in this book, one that is equally full of pride and brokenness. And there's this undercurrent happening as the story of King Ahasuerus and Queen Vashti and Esther is kind of being told up here. There's this second story that's going to bubble underneath and kind of come up to the top. This story of Haman and Mordecai. 
One of the king's advisors, Haman, who is promoted to a rank higher than any of the other nobles, which allows him to kind of walk around um, and lord this position over everyone. They would have to bow down before him. They would have to give him all of this honor. And Mordecai refuses to do so, just like a few other boys that we meet in the Babylon captivity earlier in Daniel. So Haman, in his own moment of wounded pride, in his own feelings of rage, decides that he needs to destroy Mordecai. What his wounded pride demands is the destruction of Mordecai. But that's not enough. It can't just be Mordecai who's destroyed. Just like in our own moments of rage, oftentimes we want to just escalate it to something that's so much greater than what um, reason would dictate because we're not in a moment of reasoning in our rage. Mordecai decides that, sorry, Haman decides, no, we can't just kill Mordecai. We need to wipe out his entire people group. We need to eradicate all of the Jews along with Mordecai. And so we have this intersection at this point of the story of this incredible and yet tragic story of how Esther is now on the scene as queen and how this plot has come to kill her uncle Mordecai and all of her people along with him. This is a moment that with some grace and integrity shouldn't have happened. Vashti should have remained queen. Esther should be living her life apart from the palace. Haman should have never risen to this level of influence. This is a story that shouldn't have happened, except that our brokenness often leads us to situations that shouldn't have happened. The ripple out effects of sin held an entire people group in the balance. Sin is like that. It has ramifications we can never imagine. One stone tossed in a lake ripples out further than we could ever guess. And our sin brings us to places we never would have chosen to go if we hadn't tossed that first stone in. When we walk in ways that are counter to the best that God has set forth for us in his word, in his wisdom, when we choose ourselves over others, no matter the cost, when we act hastily, when we don't take the time to pause and pray and, and seek the one who has wisdom, as Pastor Lucas spoke to us about last week, surrounding ourselves with good counselors, not counselors who want to make an example of one woman. When we do all of those things, the Bible calls that sin. When we do those things and we act hastily, when we choose ourselves, when we disobey the way that God has set forth for us, we hurt far more people than we could ever imagine because those ripples go out further than we could ever imagine. And every single ripple has a consequence that we probably didn't intend for it to have. And so through the sins of just a few people, these ripples have started. And Haman has set this plot in motion to eradicate the Jews, to kill Mordecai. 
In Esther 4, verses 1 to 3, we pick up here. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Haman's rage said Mordecai wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for Mordecai to just come now and bow down before Haman. Now an entire nation needed to be erased. Our sin cannot be satisfied. Our brokenness knows no limits. If we're left to ourselves, there's no end to the devastation we're willing to unleash. And that's why we believe that truth has to be separate from us. Why there has to be a standard that is apart from us. A standard of the way that life is best lived because our brokenness often leads us to situations that shouldn't have happened. But God, I want you to think of some of the shouldn't have happened moments that God redeemed all throughout the Bible. I'm just going to give you three. Judah and Tamar, the lineage of Jesus comes directly through their son, Perez. Moses, killing that Egyptian soldier and running for his life, led him to the place of seeing the burning bush, being called by God to be the deliverer of the Jewish people. Solomon, a son born of David and Bathsheba who became king, but arguably a marriage that should never have been. There are so many more, but we have very limited time this morning. And so these moments of brokenness, these moments of humanity show us that when we are left to ourselves, we make a mess of everything. And where the ripples of our sin being cast into a lake create devastation and pain, God is also there. And God redeems the story. But God, God takes the fragments left behind by the devastation that our sin causes, and he uses them in ways we never could have dreamed. God's name is absent from the book of Esther, but his hand isn't, his presence isn't, and his sovereignty isn't. God is in every fiber of this story. He's in every fiber of these lives, redeeming and remaking this whole moment into something entirely new. The silence of God is an absence and a lack of recognition of him at play here doesn't delete his hand. And just like he redeemed and remade these moments of brokenness into the salvation of the Jews, he can do the same for us. He can turn our brokenness into something beautiful. He can take the ripples of sin and turn the tide into redemption. That's just who he is. In Psalm 30, verses 11, or, yeah, 11 to 12, we read, You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. This is who he is. He is the God who takes 
what is awful and turns it into something beautiful. He takes the pieces that are left behind by the devastation of sin and he redeems them into something that wouldn't have ever been in our imagination or in our plan. That's just who he is. He's the God who's able to do all things. The God who's able to redeem all things. The God who invites us into the process of redemption. We're invited into his story, into his sovereignty. Not because he needs us, but because he's gracious enough to give our lives purpose and meaning. And Esther was invited to play a role in the preservation of the Jewish people, not because God needed her, but because he was redeeming her story as much as he was redeeming her people's story. So the news comes to Esther that Mordecai is outside of the gates and he's in mourning and nothing that anyone says to him is doing any good. He's completely distraught. And in the back and forth with her servant, she finds out the evil that Haman has planned and is asked to go before the king and ask for mercy on behalf of her people. And naturally, she's afraid. Esther Chapter 4, verses 10 to 11. Then she instructed him, her servant, to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. In other words, no, <laughs> don't you understand? What you're asking me isn't how things work here. There are laws and limitations. You're asking too much. No. Verse 12, when Esther's words were repeat, reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. It would have been so easy for Esther just to choose self-preservation. I mean, no one knew that she was Jewish. That part of who she was had been hidden from the very beginning when she was brought to the palace and before the king. And now she's embraced this new identity as Esther. She could stay far away from the devastation and the destruction of her people. How often do we choose self-preservation over obedience? But you don't understand. You don't understand what's going on in my life. You don't understand the very real limitations that I have to live with. You don't understand. No. God didn't need Esther, but she was invited to witness the favor and sovereignty of God through her obedience. If she had held firm, as Mordecai said, and I believe it because God keeps his promises, the Jews would have been saved, but she would have had no part in the outcome. God doesn't need us, but he invites us to be part of what he's doing in the stories around us and in ours. 
He invites us to have a front row seat to witness his favor and his sovereignty through our obedience. Over and over and over again, he asks us to step out past the limitations that we think exist to trust his provision. Over and over and over again, he calls us to go beyond what seems logical and safe and possible and to trust his sovereignty, to trust that he is faithful and to trust that he is provider. So Esther comes back to this moment and she decides that she has to choose to be willing to release all she has for the sake of obedience to the call of God. She comes to this place where she willingly embraces execution to be part of what he's doing because obedience will cost us something. And we have to come to a place where we're willing to release all we hold for the sake of obedience to the call of God on our lives. God doesn't need us. Deliverance can come from another source, but if we refuse his call of obedience on our life, we will miss out on seeing the hand of God in our story. God didn't need Esther but he invited her to be part of what he was doing. He invited her to witness his favor and sovereignty through her obedience, despite her fear, despite logic, despite all the excuses. God invites her to see him and to be part of his story. So Esther sends this reply to Mordecai, go and gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther walks in obedience, but she also knows where the strength and favor to do so lie. There ain't God. And so she surrounds herself with the people of God, petitioning him on her behalf. And God is faithful and the Jews are saved and the evil that Haman meant for Mordecai is returned on his own family. And that ending, it's great. I love the ending. But can we sit in the middle for a moment? When God seems silent and the world is spiraling out of control, can we sit in the middle for a moment when Esther finds herself in a spot she didn't ask for with obedience that's potentially deadly? Can we sit here for a moment in the mess of the middle, in the ripples of sin, in the brokenness of the story before the happy ending, before the victory, in the mess when it doesn't feel like everything will be okay, when the reminders of God's faithfulness seem trite, when you're just wondering if he's even there. Can we pause in the real and the raw and the broken? Because God's not waiting for you at the end of the story. He's right here too. He's right here in the middle, right here in the broken, right here in the weeping and the mourning and the sackcloth and the ashes. He's here in the questions and in the pain and in the broken. And just as he was in every fiber of Esther's story, he's in every fiber of ours. 
and he is, he's redeeming and reworking and restoring, but he also doesn't rush us from this place. He invites us to meet him here. And so maybe like Mordecai, you need to sit outside of the palace walls in a place of mourning, in the ashes of grief, and meet God in your tears and your questions because he's sovereign there too. Silence isn't his absence, and a lack of recognition doesn't delete his hand from our story. He's here in the why, God. He's here in the, but this shouldn't be happening. He's here in the broken of this place. And because he is here, we have hope that his promises will come to pass. The Christmas morning, it wasn't beautiful. Christmas morning was broken and real and raw too. But Jesus came to step in to the pain and the brokenness of every story of humanity. He came and he sat with the undesirable. He ate with those who made bad choices. And he offered his own presence. He offered his own life to redeem and restore all that was broken and lost. He doesn't rush us from this place. He invites us to find him here. And because he is here, because he's with us in our brokenness, because he's with us in our despair, because he's with us when all of the pieces of life are shattered and sitting around us, we can have hope. Because if he's here, he can pick them up and put them back together in a way that doesn't look like before but is entirely wonderful in the new. Because he is here, we don't stay in despair, but we rise on shaky feet to walk forward the next step and the next step and the next step in obedience as he calls us to. Because he is here, we know that even as we make a mess of our lives, even as it's not just the brokenness done that ripples out and causes splashes onto our story. Even the stones that we throw in as we make a mess of our own lives, he is able to forgive and redeem it and restore it into something unexpected and beautiful and new. And so we trust God and we stay obedient. We let him be sovereign as he was in this moment in Esther, the one who knows all things, the one who redeems all things, the faithful one. And we go where he sends us, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it feels like it's to our own destruction because we don't know who he's going to save through our shaky obedience. But we do know that his faithfulness will be on display and we'll have a front row seat to see it if we say yes. I want to close with this passage that I love out of 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. 
We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what's seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Silence is an absence, and a lack of recognition doesn't delete God's hand. He's faithful, even in the broken of our stories to redeem all things. And in his grace, he invites us to be part of his story. In his grace, he gives our lives purpose as we say yes to him. Let me pray. So God, I thank you that you're here. You're here in the middle of the story. You're here in the broken and the real and the raw. You're here in the questions and the tears and the grief. And you meet us there. You meet us in our despair. And you don't rush us from that place. You welcome us to sit and be comforted by you, to know you in our hurt. But you're also there in those moments where you call us to rise on shaky feet and to step out into something that seems impossible. You're there giving us the courage to obey regardless of what it looks like from the outside. And you open our eyes to see you, to see your faithfulness, to see your sovereignty, to see how you're redeeming and restoring and remaking all things as you invite us to be part of it. I thank you that you allow us to be part of what you're doing in this life that we get to have a front row seat to see you, that we get to be part of your story. How great is your grace towards us that you give us purpose, that you allow us to share in what you're doing here in this life. And so would you comfort those who need to be comforted? Would you speak courage to those who are waffling and making the choice to obey or not? And would you help us to hold with conviction the hope that we have and set our eyes on you on what is unseen so we can cling to that which will last in your precious name amen thanks for being here friends <laughs>